The Redneck Tech Podcast is brought to you by Mike'sArchery.com. They're a one-stop shop for virtually everything archery, bow hunting, and for your next outdoor adventure. Mike's Archery has been at the top of the archery game for over 50 years, and they want to give listeners of the Redneck Tech Podcast 10% off their entire online store using the code REDNECK10, all one word. Just put the code in before you check out, and your boys will hook you up. The guys at Mike's have always been good to us, and now they can be good to you too. Visit mikesarchery.com and get your gear now. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah. You want it? All right, what is up, folks? This is episode 165 of the Redneck Tech Podcast. It's been a while since we have done one of these, and if you go watch the live stream, you get to see about six minutes of Clay and I remembering how to do everything. Uh, So we're a little out of practice, but we have been on the road shooting, doing some editing. Uh, We've had a pretty full schedule this fall, uh, so that's kind of why we haven't been in here doing as many of them. Of course, uh, you can watch a live stream. Well, if you're watching it after the fact, it's a recorded live stream of the podcast on YouTube if you are somebody who likes to watch and listen. Um, and uh, if not, you can find this podcast wherever your favorite podcasts are sold uh, or, in this case, uh, given away for free. But... Uh, For those of you who are watching me right now on the Instagram Live, we're going to jump into the podcast. So if you guys want to watch, head on over to YouTube, look up uh, Redneck Tech Podcast, and we will be over there. Um, But anyways, uh, we're going to jump into it. So for those of you on Instagram, I'll see you over there. Okay. Uh, I was trying to do 75 things at once, but now... We are live only on the YouTube and coming uh, through your speakers and wherever you're listening to this uh, in studio today. We've got me, Ryer, a.k.a. Red Velvet, and we've got Clay, a.k.a. Clayblade. How do you do? And uh, we are going to be talking about double shooting because that's something that Clay and I uh, did a lot this year. Uh, We do it a lot, a lot of times. Yeah, we do, and I don't think that we've ever made a uh, specific podcast about it. Now, we've had a few uh, posts about it, but I thought that uh, this would be a really good opportunity to go over that, and we're kind of on a condensed time frame today uh, as far as time goes, so... Ryer has to get his hair did. I do, it's... I, I don't have that problem, but... Ryer has to get his hair did. Well, here, I'll show everybody what we're working with right now so they can understand what's going on. Uh, Removing my hat for the uh, people in the podcast. I got a lot. I got a lot of hair going on right now. I think it's been a solid, like, I think I got to cut a little bit before, before Christmas. Like, I think halfway through December was the last time I got a cut, so... It uh, it needs cut real bad, and today is the day that I can do that. So, we're that's kind of the timeline we're running up on. But, um, anyways, it's been a pretty busy fall. 
We have done a lot. Uh, I think the most recent work that you guys can see from us is going to be uh, on the Bergara page. We worked a lot this fall um, for the release of a few of their new rifles. So if you go to the Bergara Instagram, that's Bergara Rifles, or their YouTube, uh, and look at any of the release videos and a smattering of imagery, uh, that was us. And then obviously we have been doing a ton for The Crush. Clay and I actually just got back from uh, what we consider to be the last trip of the season. Uh, we were in, in Illinois. This is when we need the yay sound effects button. Yay! <laughs> uh, when we left, we played schools out for summer because it does kind of feel like that when you've been on on the hunting season grind for, uh, I mean, you since August, but August, September, October, November, December. Uh it almost does feel like you're kind of getting your summer break when you finish the last trip of the year. So we are all excited to be back. And by be back, I mean it's not full-on hunting season, but we've still got trips. In fact, Clay uh, Clay and I and Caleb and then um, Joe are going to be shooting something in San Diego this weekend, and we fly out for that bright and early. Boo! Boo! You're not excited? Mm. I'm excited for it. I'm excited. I think it'll be a good time. Uh, our buddy Mike Hearn is going to be there. I haven't seen him. Uh, Yay! I don't know. That could be a boo. We don't need to. Boo. Yeah, we don't need to inflate his ego anymore. <laughs> um, but it'll be good to see him. We're going to get to see. Uh, I think Jamie's going to be there. So there'll be a cool, cool crew of people that we get to hang out with and a. Uh, cool project that we are getting to shoot and we will go more into detail with that uh later it's not top secret but i enjoy the suspense yeah i like to not tell everybody what we're up to all the time keep them guessing yeah keep them guessing so uh speaking of that clay as the executive field producer of the crush um loosely 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 Oh, you're the executive. It's not like an official. If it was official, official would be in the credits. It's not in the credits. Well, you know the guy who makes the credits. You could <laughs> you could have him put it in there. I mean, it's not that anybody watches the credits on outdoor television anyway. That's fair. Nobody even watches the credits at movies. That's fair. I went and saw a movie the other day. We went and saw Plane. And uh, the ending scene had, like, some ambiguity to it. And there was definitely some loose ends that they didn't tie up, but... I've just left. Like, I'm not watching the credits for that. I don't even watch the credits at Marvel movies because I'm not that kind of fan. Like, I don't really care what's coming next. I came to watch that movie, and I'll YouTube it later. Like, I know that you don't have to watch the credits to find that. You just, like, Marvel movies. It's going to come out anyways. It'll be on YouTube, like, the next day. So it's not really a bit. If you saw it at the premiere, sure. But other than that, you could just look up, like, the end credit scene, and it'll be somewhere. But anyways, we were talking about it, and... uh, it was like, well, maybe they had an end credit scene at the end of it that we should have stayed for. I was like, no, I'm not staying for the end credit scene of that movie. It does. It really didn't matter at all. So, uh, sorry to everybody who was in the credits. I think the only time that I'll stay for the credits is if my name is in there, and then I'll stay and record the entire thing so that I can show that my name was in there. You Any, wouldn't do that. Anyway, you wouldn't do that, Clay. Anyway, you would do that. Back on track. Tell me you wouldn't do that. Okay, I would do that. Exactly. Okay. Exactly trying to take a high and mighty route like you wouldn't do that mm. all right um anyways clay executive field producer of the crush 
Um, tell the people a little bit, give them a little taste of our general strategy, double shooting, and then we'll kind of go into some uh, some things that we learned specifically this year uh, that have helped us be uh, better at that. Well, I would say generally double shooting no matter what you're double shooting, it's always kind of the same principles. Obviously, double shooting, we mean two people running camera, filming the same subject. Um, and I guess technically there are two different types of double shooting. You can double shoot like dialogue or a scene, or you can double shoot like, I don't know, First thing that comes to mind is like sitting in a duck blind where you're technically double shooting a duck hunt or a waterfowl hunt. One person's on the blind, one person's on the the animals. But what I'm specifically talking about is like dialogue or a scene like at the back of a truck after someone kills an animal or uh, we do it a lot in the house, Lee and Tiff talking about like what the plan for the next day or something is. And mm -hmm. the first rule of thumb is someone is always your quote safety angle medium or wide on what's happening. Your second person is always, this is very important, tighter than the other person that is your safety angle and they're following action. And by following action, we mean whoever is talking, the person that is the tight angle is on that person and you're following whoever's talking back and forth. If Lee is saying something, you're on Lee. As soon as Tiffany starts saying something, you move over to Tiffany. If they're talking about something that's in their hands or that they're touching or that they're looking at, you're following the action to that and you start filming that when they start talking. Generally, again, you move back to whoever's talking and you're going back and forth throughout the scene. That way you have a master angle of both people on each side of the frame talking generally. And then you have the tighter angle to cut to. What that does is it keeps it from being monotonous and just one angle the entire time. And it helps you shorten that scene because you have two angles to cut back and forth from. If Lee says something and then Tiff talks for five minutes and then Lee says something quick again, well, you're able to cut back and forth between the two angles to cut Tiffany's talking down from five minutes to 15 or 20 or 30 seconds, whatever you need. Um, also doing interviews, which we're going to be shooting this week and Right, yes, yeah, this weekend. Mm -hmm. um, there's always a, it's not always wide, but it's probably a waist up type of framing for interviews. And then your other person, your second shooter is tighter. So probably sternum up. I'm not really a fan of like the throat up or the neck up tight. I think that's a little too in your face. But we try to err away for, or, we try to frame and shoot away from what I'm about to say, but if you do shoot your second angle a little wider than what you should have in your shooting 4K, you can crop it in, but that's not a reason to shoot 4K. You shoot 4K for the quality, not so you can shoot everything medium and bump in. But I would say for the most part, it's as simple as one person is a safety wide or medium shot encompassing the entire scene. The other person is tight, following action, and just making sure those two people, for the most part, stay in those roles until the scene is over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that largely uh, <clears throat> the advantage to shooting 
to double-shooting things is your ability to get two camera angles simultaneously uh, and give yourself that uh, extra angle in editing to be able to cut it down, like what you were saying. It also um, gives you more room to capture the scene. Um, I, I know that anybody who has filmed people talking or filmed people doing things uh, as a single shooter has found that uh, as people talk and as people do things, they move around. And what where you were stationed originally to get a shot that you liked and that was um, visually satisfying and looked good, uh, suddenly as people talk and move, you're they move out of a shot that is is good. And so you as the shooter now have to reposition yourself. Well, it can be hard when people are talking to reposition and not um, not ruin the shot while you're repositioning. It's very hard to reposition smoothly. So you kind of have to like pick your moment to reposition and hope that somebody doesn't say something that's really crucial while you're repositioning because then you're... Uh, then your your editor is going to have to do something creative over that visual shot to keep the audio. Um, so I, I, I will say what I just explained is usually how we're double-shooting for Lee and Tiff and, like, our web series we do with Brian and Billy because they are used to being on camera and very rarely are they closing when they're talking. Are they dead facing each other? Right, talking to each other, having a conversation. It's usually a conversation between Lee and Tiff talking to the camera, or Brian and Billy talking to the camera. If you're with, if you're in a situation where it's Lee and a guide talking directly to each other, or Tiffany and a guide talking directly to each other, and they're facing each other, having a conversation with themselves, that's when your 180 degree rule comes in, where each shooter is behind each actor or subject or whatever shooting across their shoulder getting getting that double shooting and that that's a bit more complicated it's hard to explain the 180 degree rule and your framing for that without actually being able to see it but basically you want to frame it to where when you cut back and forth between the cameras one person is looking to the right side of the frame like they're talking to someone on the right and then when you cut back that other person is looking towards the left side of the frame like they're looking back towards the other person. That way you don't cut back and forth and have end up having both people looking to the right or looking to the left, and it doesn't match. But you also want to frame it to where you don't want just your subject in frame. You want to see a little bit of the other person that they are talking to in the foreground so that you have that mental connection of, okay, this is who this person's talking to, and it kind of gives you that perspective of the person that is being talked to, what they're seeing. But yeah, gener- but gener- for, yeah, for the most part, we do a lot of two people having a conversation towards the camera. So that was the first one I explained. Yeah, the general 180 rule is that uh, you take your subject that you're shooting and make basically a, you would make a line that's kind of, perpendicular to the camera and you always want to stay on one side of that line um and so if you have two shooters it's even more important that both people are on the same side of the line um to make sure that that visual continuity of okay this person is on the left side of the frame looking to the right side of the frame is maintained 
or if you've got two people, um, they're looking at each other. If you were both on the same side of the line, you're going to do that naturally. If you're on opposite sides, it may be difficult to do that. Um, but there's ways around it, but I, we won't get super into that on this podcast because this is more about double shooting. But that is a good thing to think about, um, you know, is if you are shooting with somebody else to kind of make sure that your guys' angles um, and perspectives match and are congruent and will work together. So like Clay said, you've got your wide shot and then you've got your medium to tight shot to make sure that you're not both shooting the same thing. So there's variety, but you're also making sure that you're both on the same side of your subjects or, uh, you know, one person is side and one person is to the front, just on the same side of that 180. You basically want to pick one half of the person or the people or the group and stay on that half. Now, it's not always possible because people move around, but it's a good rule of thumb. Um, and the other thing that I think goes along with that is uh, communication and awareness. Uh, when when I'm double shooting, uh, before we go into a scene where I know that we're both going to be shooting it, I'll try my best to say, hey, do you want wide or do you want me to be wide? And determining that beforehand. Um, you can even do it on a trip basis where you go, hey, you know, I, you be wide this whole trip, I'll be tight this whole trip. That way, when situations arise out of nowhere and people start talking, you and your other shooter don't even have to discuss anything. You know, hey, I'm wide and you're tight. And sometimes that decision is made inherently because oftentimes when we're troubleshooting, we're not both running the same lens. Uh, one person will be running a content type lens, which is going to be something wider, something in like a 24 to 105 sort of range. That's usually my favorite. Uh, and then somebody else will be doing the animal footage slash kill cam footage. And that's shot on a 70 to 200 or a two to 600. And so inherently the person with the two to 600 or the 70 to 200 can't be the wide person because they've got a telephoto lens on. Oh, and, and also kind of like if you and I, a lot of times, like Ryer said, we're communicating and I'm using the crushing exa- as an example again, but a lot of times it's literally snap at your finger. Hey, this is about to happen. Ryer, do you want wide or tight? I don't really care which one it is. He picks one. I go with the opposite. Um, and we're just, we're just shooting, and I know that he's going to get the wides, I'm going to get the tight. The only time that Ryer and I don't have that conversation is if we're on a hunt and, like, we filmed Lee on a rifle um, elk hunt this year, and I was running audio because I was the content cam. I was the dialogue cam. If I'm running audio 100% all the time, it doesn't matter what lens Ryer has. If we have the same exact lens on, the person running the audio, the lav mics, is wide. Mm-hmm. Because it is much easier to sync your audio if Premiere has a screw up or whatever and it can't sync its audio automatically by doing the select your clips, go up to the top, clip, synchronize, whatever. And you have to do it by eye or by ear. It's much easier to sync your audio when your wide shot has the audio because you can see everybody talking. Yeah, and you've also, I mean, that's your master, that's exactly. your master yeah. wide safety shot. So you know that this shot is always going to be good to cut back to. um, And it's also going to have the nice, clean audio. 
And it just kind of goes hand in hand. Ryer and I even have like hand signals that we'll give each other. Like if we're literally thrown in the middle of a scene and we're already filming or I'm filming something and the person that Ryer is filming walks into my scene and it then goes between two single shooter scenes to one double shooter scene, like I'll either throw up like the West Side Gangsta sign to Ryer. That's our that's our signal for wide or I'll cross my fingers. That's the signal for tight. And I mean, we just one of us goes wide, one of us goes tight. And that's and that's obviously we've been doing this together for three years, but doing it enough. Also, like for Lee and Tiff, they like when we run that 24 to 240. If I roll into a scene that Ryer's filming and I see that his lens is zoomed all the way out, I don't even look at him. I just go tight. Or if Ryer, if I roll into a scene and I see that Ryer's zoomed in a little bit, then I'm going to go tight and let him stay, let him stay wide. Or let him stay tight, and I'll I'll go wide if he's zoomed in. It's just being being aware and having those conversations beforehand. But it also helps that we do it together all the time. Like mm-hmm. we're gonna be with Joe this weekend, and I filmed with Joe a lot, but I haven't double shot with Joe a lot. Right. So just because I film with Joe a lot doesn't always mean that we're on the same page about everything. I know he's gonna do a great job. Always does what he needs to do in the way that he needs to do it. But that doesn't mean we're always on the same page double shooting and there's a lot of people out there freelancer wise that don't double shoot a lot because a lot of freelancer gigs are single shooter type gigs where we get mm-hmm. one reason we get a lot of double shooter gigs is because we have four full-time people yeah. and um it's just easier for us to do the, those bigger jobs but that doesn't mean that double shooting is something that you need years and years of practice of it double shooting is literally 100 percent communication yeah, and it, and it's and it's being aware of the situation and your surroundings and the other person and what they're doing. I mean, when I'm double shooting, I've got my head in a camera for fifty percent of the time, and I've got my head out of the camera the other fifty percent of the time, seeing what's going on. Like, where are people? Um, where is the other shooter? I'm looking at them. I'm looking to see where their lens is at. Like you said. Uh, I'm looking to see what side of the people they're on. I'm looking to see where they are at in relation to the group. Um, Or even, I mean, a lot of this stuff, we're saying uh, groups and people, but a lot of this applies to just double shooting in general. Just knowing where the other person is and kind of trying to envision what they're shooting uh, so that you can make sure that, one, you're getting that variety, that you're not getting the same exact thing that they're shooting, and two, that you're not accidentally getting into their frame or uh, cutting off a shot or whatever it may be. You know, if you see that their camera is pointed this way uh, and they're getting a shot, you might just stay behind them a little bit or shade off to the left or the right and just being aware of what the other person might be shooting. And some of that is just comes with experience, uh, but some of that just comes from just looking around and being aware of what direction the other person's camera is pointed in, all that stuff. And um, that also comes in handy when you've got a very dynamic situation uh, and you've got uh, people talking. Like, this happens a lot when you've got, like, a group of five people around the back of a ranger looking at a deer or an elk that, that had just been killed and they're examining it and looking at it and telling stories and this, that, and the other. Um, From the outside looking in, it's a very static scene. But when you start shooting it, you really start to realize how much people move around when they're talking. And so you've got two guys, and 
they you're trying to shoot this whole scene and make sure that you get everything uh and you're making sure that you've got one person wide one person tight and you're you're trying to keep up with everybody moving and uh part of being aware is knowing when you can move right like it's a very small thing but when a scene changes physically you both may have to reset and so you need to be aware of okay now we both need to reset i'm going to look at clay and hopefully clay looks at me and i can you like just kind of tell him with my face that i'm going to move or he's going to move but we don't we both do not want to move at the same time so just looking at the other person and maybe mouthing something to them saying stay still or hold your shot or just uh, with one hand that's not on the camera like you can do with the FX6 or something, uh, make a hand signal to say, hey, I'm going to move, so hold your shot. That way, he's holding the shot, he's got a good shot, I move, recompose, and then once he sees that I'm stable and steady, now he can move. That way, we don't accidentally both move at the same time and uh, have somebody say something that's really important that would be useful for the edit. But now both the cameras are having an earthquake because we're moving around. Um, and, and, and that's where you don't want your second angle so ridiculously tight that your footage is basically not usable. Like you want your shot to be, if we're like at the back of the Ranger and I'm encompassing both people talking and the elk in the shot. And then Ryer comes in with a 70 to 200 handheld at 200 millimeters and he's trying to follow everything at 200 millimeters, he might as well not even be hitting record because more than likely it's going to be so shaky that it's unusable, especially if you're trying to follow someone touching the elk, talking about a shot, or they're making some type of head gesture, getting excited, telling a story or something, and you're trying to keep that in frame. By tight, we mean significant significantly and noticeably tighter than the master shot, Mm -hmm. but wide enough that your subject can stay in the frame without you literally having to follow them all over the place. Right. And more than likely if they, if they're moving out of your frame anyways to reach down and touch the elk or grab something or whatever, or whatever it is, it's, you're cutting back to the wide shot anyways to see that. Yeah. So you, you don't want someone shooting it, 20 millimeters and then someone shooting at 400 either like that you, mm-hmm. they need to be they need to naturally flow together you can't just have uh, a, a super 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 wide and a super 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 tight but you don't want two mediums either right. two mediums i'd rather a single shoot a scene than have two mediums yeah yeah so i would say that the last little tidbit of information that i would uh, throw into here is one thing that we've been doing that's helped significantly is syncing the cameras uh, time-wise at the start of every shoot. And uh, that helps a lot in editing. I found that if you go and you sit down and you have both cameras and you go, okay, let's set both cameras and make sure that their times match exactly. All like the, way the clock in the camera. The clock in the camera, all the way down to the time code and all that stuff. Uh, when you get into editing you can put both of those cameras into one bin or one folder and sort by the um, created time. And now you have every single clip 
uh, sorted by the time it was taken. And the really nice thing is it's super easy to see, oh, these two clips uh, are together and it's people talking and I know immediately as an editor to go sync that. Um, I would say that has helped a lot and it takes five minutes at the front end of a shoot to do, um, but it can save you a ton, a ton of time uh, on the back end. I even, like when we're whitetail hunting, I do it with my mirrorless as well that I use mm-hmm. as a second angle that way. I do it with my GoPro yeah, or everything. my Osmo. Um, I try to make sure uh, on any shoot that I'm on that we sync all of the cameras to the same time. Uh, and that way, if I get it back in editing, I know that I can sort them that way. And it makes it exponentially easier for me as an editor. And... uh it just gives you a better sense of what goes with what, where things fall in the hunt timeline. Um, you know, if you've got two cameras and one is shooting animals and the other is shooting people, uh, like glassing animals, well, when you're glassing for mule deer, they're who the heck knows how far away. But you've basically got this shot of a mule deer in the frame and then you've got people talking about it. Well, it's so much easier to be able to see those two shots right next to each other and have the people talking and glassing this mule deer and then the shot of the mule deer right next to each other in the bin as opposed to having one bin and have them talk about it and then have me try to have to go figure out out of this other group of footage which specific shot of the deer they're talking about. Well, and also just because you do it once doesn't mean you shouldn't ever do it again because like Ryer and I did it on the 4th of January when we got to Illinois with Lee and Tiff. And Ryer and I will do it again tomorrow when we get to California, and I guarantee you our clocks will be like three minutes off. Yeah, just because of just a little bit of error. Yeah. Uh, unless your cameras are physically wired together or have like a time time code sync lock sort yeah. of situation, which, you know, they do on big sets, but obviously we can't necessarily do that uh, for us. Uh, there's just the clocks count just slightly off to to where they will, over the course of so much time, get out of sync. And again, it takes like five minutes to do. So um, it kind of an abrupt end, but I have to leave like now. Yeah, where I just got to get his hair did. I do. And I uh, I tried to finagle the appointment around, but I couldn't. So I got to go now. Mm. Anyways, that was a very short podcast. Uh, we may do a more extensive one later, but we wanted to get something out to you guys today. Um, and, uh, hopefully we will get back into the natural swing of things, um, here with the new year at some point in 2023, at some point in 2023. (laughs) So anyways, um, as always, thank you for listening. Check us out, uh, on Instagram, redneck tech podcast, check us out on YouTube, redneck tech podcast. Uh, If you want to see the work that we do, check us out at Cope Creative on Instagram. And if you see the little Copeland Creative bug at the end of a show on TV, we made it. So, yeah, we will talk to you guys later. Peace. Right here, right here, right here. Yeah, you want it? Yeah. Mm-hmm.